Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 19th starts now. On today's show, it's a Monroe Wednesday, so Monroe Anderson is here to talk national politics with Ben, some local politics too, and also chiming in special guest Tonya Hill of the Tribe. The Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, if you like that green stuff, hey, tomorrow's 420, you can find that at ChicagoReader.com too. And find even more from Ben Jarofsky at ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Trusky here. We're calling this Lori's Last Day Wednesday. And here's why. Man, that's tough to say. Because it's Lori Lightfoot's last day. Well, not technically her last day. It's her last city council meeting. She still has another like proximate month in office before she's officially stepped down uh, as mayor of the city of Chicago. And uh, Brandon Johnson steps in. Uh, before I get into my thoughts on that, I got to read a couple of... Um, uh, letters. They're not really letters anymore. I was telling producer Chris this before we went on. In the old days, you get letters to the editor. It's an actual piece of paper. Here, let me show you millennials a piece of paper. Here we go. Piece of paper. Okay? You don't get paper anymore. You get emails and texts and tweets and I can never remember where anything is, but here it goes. I took a picture of this. So this was a Facebook message, uh, Monroe Anderson, that I got uh, from a listener. And he goes, hi, Ben. Uh, now that at least temporarily you could be proud of Chicago because we elected a progressive mayor and we increased the number of progressive alders because of this, it is now time to say loud and proud, quote, I am a Chicagoan, unquote. Say it, Ben. I know you were not born here, but you have lived in Chicago for 40 years. I myself was born in Minnesota. I have lived in Chicago for 45 years. Good. God, 45 years. I came at the age of 26. It is possible to have a dual citizenship. I am a Chicagoan and a Minnesotan. So you are a Chicagoan and an Evanstonian. Own it, Ben. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm still not ready to say it. I, I mean, I want to say it. You know, I was very happy when Brandon Johnson was elected. Not quite as happy as I was in 1983, but there will only be one Harold Washington. So I'm not quite ready to say it uh, completely out loud, particularly with the news coming up, Ron. Uh, and I'll get to that. I uh, also got a, uh, I guess this is a, a Instagram message uh, from Lizzie, who writes, um, listening to the No Brandon episode, and I got to say, you're giving too much credit to CTU for funding Brandon's campaign. 
all three SEI, SEIU locals in Chicago and our international gave just as much, if not more, than CTU. If Diane Palmer is not leading SEIU 73, Brandon Johnson is not mayor of the city of Chicago. Stacey Davis Gates said Diane played a clarifying role in the embryonic stages of this endeavor. And that's from an article, How Black Labor Leaders Propel Brandon Johnson uh, to Chicago Mayor's Office in the Tribune. All right, Lizzie. I'm sorry I overlooked SEIU's contribution uh, when I was uh, going on and on about how Brandon won. I was making a point that the Chicago Teachers Union uh, has sort of been identified as the powerful organization behind Brandon Johnson. Be scared. Be very scared. That, so corporate Chicago kind of overlooks SEIU. You know, because they quite haven't figured out a narrative to explain SEIU. Plus, there's three of them. It's so confusing. I don't even think corporate Chicago understands it. Definitely readers are like, I'm confused. There's SEIU 1. There's SEIU 73. Then there's the healthcare one. Everybody's mixed up. So it's a little harder to concentrate on SEIU. Back in the day, SEIU, don't get mad at me, what I'm about to say. During the ROM years, I used to have, the, like, the the uh, badass SEIU, which was healthcare, which stood up to ROM. And then I call them the wimpy SEIU. Uh, that would be Local 73 that was always sucking up to ROM. Uh, and then there was Fingers in the Air SEIU, which was number one, which is trying to figure out which way the wind is blowing today. We'll cut a deal with ROM or we'll pretend we're protesting them. You know what was really fun back in the old days, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, God, I, sh I shouldn't reveal this, but I'm going to reveal it anyway. So I'd be walking down the street and I see a crossing guard. This is like 2014 or something like that. And the crossing guard, of course, would be an SEIU uh, Local 73. And we'd be chatting at the light, you know, and I go, do you know that your union uh, gave money to Mayor Rahm Emanuel? And the crossing guard wouldn't know. Because, <laughs> of course, the crossing guard, being a normal, ordinary Chicago, couldn't stand Mayor Rahm. And went, what? No way. Uh, it's true. Sometimes I would call up on my phone. Anyway, those days are long gone. Uh, Diane Palmer's doing a great job at SEIU Local 73. So shout out SEIU. Uh, that's hard to say over and over again. Uh, Tonya Hill from the Tribe is joining us today. Monroe Anders, it's Monroe uh, Wednesday, uh, is, uh, of course, uh, with us as well. And before I bring them on, I just want to say this is Lori Lightfoot's last uh, city council hearing. Uh, and uh, we'll probably take a deeper dive in that tomorrow. Uh, when we find out exactly what is uh, what went down, I know that uh, everybody's showering her with love, including the Chicago Sun Times. There's an article in the Sun Times. This is this this is why, Ron. It's hard for me just to be proud of being a Chicagoan. All right. So on page nine of the Chicago Sun Times uh, is an article uh, with the headline: Johnson starting out on the right foot thanks to light foot. Oh, that Sun Times just loves goofing around with those uh, light, right foot, light foot. <laughs> uh, and it's all about how her mastery of the budget process uh, has left the city uh, only $85 million <laughs> with a shortfall. Only an $85 million shortfall, which is, of course, a, you can round that up with the budget. Uh, so Lori Lightfoot is presenting herself as she leaves office uh, as a uh, a great uh, handler of the budget and is doing a big favor uh, to uh, incoming mayor, Brandon Johnson. Usually uh, mayors don't really call attention to the budget as they leave office, but Lori Lightfoot wants everybody to know she did a great job with the budget. So 
Uh, it's not her fault if Chicago faces a staggering deficit. That's sort of the theme of the article on page nine. If you go to page seven, there's an article uh, by a different reporter called CPS to move away from student-based budgeting. Uh, and at the last paragraph in that article, it says the C CPS district will face a structural deficit of $628 million. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't even say this with a straight face. $628 million structural deficit. Uh, in the year 2526. So in other words, the great master of the budget when it comes to city budget is not such a great master of the budget when it comes to school budget. Uh, and if you're a property taxpayer, as Monroe Anderson is, uh, you're going to pay more to uh, compensate for uh, that deficit. So here's the thing. The, Lori Lightfoot is really hoping that people who read the Sun-Times only read the article on page nine and do not read the article on page seven. Do not read the article on page seven, Chicagoans. Are Chicagoans capable of reading like two articles in one day? That's a tough question to ask. Can they handle such different themes in one day, you know? And by the way, why didn't the guy who wrote, uh, the reporter who wrote the article on page seven talk to the reporter who wrote the article on page nine? Maybe try to figure out, hey, what's the deal here? You're saying one thing on page nine and something else on page seven. Anyway, I'm st still sort of proud to be uh, living in Chicago, Ron. But the games that go on and will continue to go on always just sort of make me smile. All right, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest, uh, Monroe Anderson, legendary Chicago journalist, dear friend of the show, dear friend of mine every Wednesday on this show. Antonia Hill from The Tribe. Uh, investigative reporter, journalist extraordinaire, making her Ben Jarowski show debut. Monroe, I know you join me in welcoming Tonya uh, to our humble little gab fest. Uh, by the way, I love those typewriters in the back. Folks, you can't see this. Monroe, where'd you get those typewriters in the... I, I've used all of them but one. There, there are four there, and there's a real, really antique one I never wrote on, but the others I wrote on one that IBM Selectric One's a Royal, I think, and uh, and one's a Montgomery Ward Portable. I'm taking a picture of that, Monroe. That is so cool. Ladies and gentlemen, I know this is uh, audio only. You cannot see that, but I'm going to put it on the Instagram page. Uh, those super cool oh, typewriters in the background. Uh, Monroe, like me, is a boomer, and uh, we know how to use typewriters. Tonya Hill, welcome to the show. Uh, appreciate you having, having you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tonya, do you know cursive? I do know cursive. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. I think that stopped like after me and my sister's uh, generation. But yeah, I do know cursive. <laughs> yeah, so it, it comes in handy for reporters when you're trying to write. No. Yeah, but then sometimes I can't read it after. Um, well, that's, that's everybody. I can't. Yeah, I, can't yeah, I don't know what I wrote. <laughs> we're, we're like doctors. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, th there's that moment uh, on this show, particularly on Wednesday show, where Monroe and I, these uh, ancient uh, boomer journalists, uh, have young journalists on, and we ask them stuff about, like, do you know how to do this? Because uh, uh, when Tiffany was on a couple of weeks ago, I remember Monroe, I asked her, do you know who Dionne Warwick is? Uh, and she passed that test. No, and you ask her that. I, <laughs> I, I figure she did. <laughs> Well, there was no, I mean, okay, just so I just yeah. dropped that bit on Instagram. And just so folks know, 
uh, the backdrop of that one was I had gone to the doctors, if you recall, Monroe, and yeah. the doctor didn't know, the nurse didn't know, and the two clerks uh, at the front uh, of the office did not know who Dion Warwick is, and I was just stunned, and I came home, and we did the show, and the first thing I asked Tiffany was, <laughs> and I was, I'm not even going to ask Tonya Hill, because, of course, she knows who Dion Warwick is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all right, Tonya, so you did some ex- excellent coverage of the sure. mayor's race. Monroe and I were marveling at you, particularly your, the story you did about a black elected officials uh, and um, uh, endorsing Paul Vallis. Uh, it seems like ancient history since Brandon Johnson won mm-hmm. uh, with 80% at least in the black wards, Monroe. 80% black vote. That was black political power on display. Uh, and Brandon Johnson owes his victory to black voters in the city of Chicago. That's how I read it. Tonya, do you essentially agree with me on that point yes and thank you for um reading and supporting uh, my work and our team's work we were working really hard and we just knew that this was like a really important election and planned early about like wanting to shift some narratives around uh for this election but yeah i would agree with you um and then the thing that i think is also interesting is that a lot of the black uh city council members or alders that did support Paul Vallis. So like, you know, Alderman, Alderwoman, uh, Michelle Harris, Beale, um, even, you know, Alderman Roger Sawyer, even though he was running for mayor, all those people's, like the their constituents overwhelmingly voted for Brandon Johnson. So I, to me, that was very telling, like seeing all those people, you know, black city council leaders that supported Paul Vallis and their constituents voted for Brandon Johnson. So I think there's a big, very big disconnect between um, those like black leaders specifically and their constituents. And it just like points to what I was discussing in the article, which is this need to kind of like keep the political, current political establishment um, together and also um, wanting to ensure that their interests are not are met and not the interests interests of their constituents. Uh, we, ben and I have seen this movie before. Harold <laughs> uh, Washington was running. Uh, there were uh, a number of black politicians that supported Jane Byrne, including Tim Evans. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's you know, I mean, that's that's how it goes. Is is those those folks want to look out for their futures and they go with the with the, who they think are going to be the winners. And you know, twice yeah. proven wrong. Uh, and then uh, several who vo- supported uh, Richie Daly, Cook County State's Attorney at the time, Richie Daly, John Stroger supported him. And Monroe points out, uh, Tonya, and I was wrong and he was right. So I'm going to say it one more time. I didn't believe him. I had forgotten that Tim Evans, who was the alderman of the fourth ward, endorsed uh, Byrne over Washington. Uh, and I doubted Monroe on the mic. Yes, I did. <laughs> on the mic. And then he later sent me an email proving that he was right and I was wrong. I've been eating crow ever since. Uh, and the reason it matters, well, it probably only matters to me and Monroe and a handful of other old people. But mm-hmm. the split in the black community, the political split that occurred after Harold died when uh, – 
divided into two factions, the Sawyer faction, the Evans faction, and the Evans supporters were acting like they were anointed by God himself to be Harold's replacement. And it was just unthinkable that Eugene Sawyer would be the replacement. Sawyer back Washington in 83. Right. Hey, you, I'm learning something new from you guys because I didn't know that. So um, about uh, Tim Evans, and who is also, I've learned a couple, the same Tim Evans that's like the, you know, the lead judge for Cook County. Right. So yeah, I didn't know that. You guys are teaching me something new today. I would have thought he would have um, aligned himself with Harold Washington. Not right. Burn. Exactly. So well, yeah, after, surprising after, after Harold became mayor. He it's ancient history, Tony, but it's not ancient history uh, because the positioning uh, that politicians, not just black politicians, but we're concentrating on black politicians, the way they try uh, to stay like to cut their deals with the people they think are going to be mayors and yet still somehow or other stay relevant with their voters is is always a frustrating for me uh, aspect of Chicago politics. And so, for instance, like Anthony Beal of the Ninth Ward, Walter Burnett of the 27th Ward, Michelle Harris of the 8th Ward, they probably figured that Paul Vallis was going to win. Mm -hmm. And they were going to get something out of endorsing Paul Vallis, uh, irregardless of whether their constituents favored Paul Vallis, we're going to vote. They were just kind of wor working from the assumption that Paul Vallis will win. Everyone will forget, uh, you know, who they endorsed uh, and that they would be rewarded somehow or some way, maybe with a city uh, council chairmanship. That's how I view it. How do you view it? I would view it the same. Um, you know, something else I learned throughout this time, too, like talking to some of the old um Black politicos like Del Marie Cobb, you know, she she was like a very great resource. I really appreciate her insight on things. And um, Dr. Robert Starks and some other folks that are like up and coming in, in the political uh, expert room. But they kind of share with me like, you know, it's that, but it's also just really just self-interest, just like trying to get whatever thing they have done. I mean, I don't want to like... I don't know this to be true exactly, but I'm just thinking about Jamal Green, for instance, like his decision to support Paul Vallis was really shocking to a lot of people, especially this young base of voters that he, young black base of voters, I want to say that he built up and even like, you know, white progressives too. So yeah, just like, what was the, what was the reason? What was the reason? And, you know, we haven't really, figured out like what he was promised or or what you know what have you but it's yeah. something I think it's worth looking into. Yeah and my guess is that he just wanted to be at the big boys table. <laughs> and so he figured that's how he could do it. Mm -hmm. Especially yeah. when during the debate uh Willie Wilson basically called him a boy. <laughs> so he's tried he's tried to figure out he's he he's tried to um, earn a position at the table with the big, the big, the men. You know, uh, I gotta, Tony, I want to ask you about J. Maul Green on this mm -hmm. one. With me, I mean, I'm sure there was talk between all the candidates and Paul Vallis uh, as to how they would fit in. I'm doing this as euphemistically as I can with a, a, a Vallis administration. 
you know, whether they go literally go to work for the Vallis administration with a city hall job or whether they be an alderman who uh, gets uh, a, uh, a chair uh, in the city council or uh, I don't know if you get a grant or something. Anyway, how they're going to fit into the Paul Vallis universe. That may explain why they went with Vallis. With J. Paul Green, I thought it was personal. Like he really didn't like Brandon Johnson. And because it was so personal, the things he said, some of them were outrageous, you know, that the, the things that Jay Maul Green said about Brandon Johnson living in Austin to try to impress white people. I'm like, what? Oh, that's I hadn't seen that. But <laughs> yeah, it was it was a lot of to your point, it was a lot of different things he was, you know, um, saying on Twitter. I think the thing that was also interesting is just like when some of these um you know larger black political leaders like you know a jesse white a bobby rush when they made their choice to endorse um paul vallis we didn't hear from them again um so it was you know what i mean so i thought it was interesting that jamal didn't just like not say anything else about it he just kept you know, every day, honestly, it felt like from the time of that endorsement to the runoff was something that was, was to your point, like something like attacking or just like trying to, you know, dispel like what Brandon Johnson was, you know, trying to do or, or with his campaign or just something like to that effect. So I don't know, like, I don't want to speculate, but maybe that was a something too. Like maybe that was intentional to, to just sow discord with, with that. So I'm not sure, but it was definitely very striking to me to see that he wouldn't like, I don't know, just be quiet after that. But it just felt like he was feeding into all of the, the noise about that. Like I saw him more than I saw any other black, um, figure kind of like talking constantly about and trying to defend basically why he was supporting Paul Vallis for mayor. Yeah. And uh, um, uh, on election night, when Paul Vallis conceded, Jamal Green was right there on the podium standing right next to him. He was. And, uh, uh, so let's uh, move away from the election for a moment. Uh, and talk about what went down this weekend. I had an extensive conversation yesterday uh, on this topic, uh, Monroe, with Mark Sims. And if folks haven't heard it, I urge you uh, to listen to the show. Uh, Mark was speaking from his heart uh, about um, what happened this weekend in the loop, mayhem in the loop, uh, and the political fallout. Are already blaming Brandon Johnson. Uh, the mainstream media is blaming Brandon Johnson, uh, Monroe. It, if he's not responsible for the mayhem, uh, he is uh, his response was not adequate enough. Exactly. To I, I told you he was not going to get it. Remember, I think this was last week. I said he wasn't getting the honeymoon. And so he, 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 he didn't even get a wedding gift. <laughs> it's like, OK, here we go. Yeah. And, and you know what, Monroe, things never change. And I need your response to this. I mean, the more they change, the more they stay the same. Right. So everybody knows I cannot stand the Chicago Tribune editorial uh, position from going back to the 60s. That's how long it's been. Right. Uh, but they were just 
their editorials are so horrific toward Harold Washington during Council Wars, uh, and they just pick up right where they left off with Brandon Johnson. Oh, they did. The, they they did Sawyer in in, in the meantime, but, uh, and then, but it's. Uh, I'm afraid the Tribune is not very comfortable with black people in charge. Explain. Go into that. Explain what you mean by that. What I mean by that is that uh, they're they're a Republican newspaper, and people forget that sometimes. Uh, the last the last time they were on the side of black people was when we were slaves, <laughs> and since since they uh, they've not been very good at it. They were yeah, on the right side of the Civil War. Let's get that straight. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. So they were abolition. They, they were an abolitionist newspaper. I, I, I wouldn't go so far. We, now we're like talking ancient. This is a, we had an argument, Tonya, about t, uh, Tim Evans and uh, endorsing Byrne. Neither of us were around in 1859 or whatever, in 1860, when Abraham Lincoln ran. I do not believe they were an abolitionist abolitionist newspaper they were a republican newspaper yeah, they, they were abolitionists i'm pretty sure you know all right, we're gonna have to debate I, that one no I, I did work there for for 10 years did they let you know i'm wrong <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, but anyway i i cut you off go ahead their their yeah. attitude toward black uh, leaders. okay but anyway they the 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 editorial board uh since uh, in in recent decades, has not been very good. And they were when Harold got elected. Um, the day after he got elected, uh, the entire newsroom was was, was like um, they had a a mother or father who had died. They were they were really like long faced and sad. And uh, when Sawyer replaced, when Harold died and Sawyer became mayor. Um, they attacked him from day one, and that's 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 what um, Mayor Johnson can expect, also. Yeah. From, from them, it's it's. I I yeah. Tony, you, you talked about changing the narrative in the city of Chicago with some of tribes reporting and getting people to look at things differently than the traditional mainstream media does. Uh, Monroe and I were talking about uh, when your publisher, uh, Morgan Elise Johnson, was on WGN News, and a lot of lefties were, like, cheering mm -hmm. because they had her on there with this uh, with Pat Brady, the Republican yeah. chair, or either former chair of the state, or I can't remember. I apologize to all our Republican listeners. There's, like, three of them out there. Confused Republicans, um, and uh, she just mopped the floor with him, you know. And in in and in past shows, they would just let him do his little MAGA rants, and there would be no rebuttal uh, because most Dems are afraid to stand up to MAGA. And she she just like totally mopped the floor with him. Uh, so I'm I really um, welcome new voices that are like. Uh, confronting the narrative the assumed the assumed narratives in chicago and one of those narratives is that somehow or other brandon johnson will be more responsible uh for crime that occurs in the black community than a white mayor would be that's my read of it uh and i'm not sure how that's fair to brandon johnson uh but that's how i read the situation 
what's your take on this? Hey, hey, wait, let me say something real quick. As a black person in Chicago, we don't expect to be treated fair, and we don't treat it fair. I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. So uh, Brandon is not going to get a fair treatment in, in the legacy press. Tonya? Sure. Um, so I actually missed most, well, actually all of Morgan's um, WGN um, appearance because I was at Brandon Johnson's uh, election night watch party. But from the clips I've seen, I would agree with you. <laughs> it was very legendary and we're all like really proud of her for, you know, speaking truth to, to what is actually happening in our communities and just opening people's eyes up to this entire conversation. But to an extent, I agree that there, I mean, it's not surprising. Like I knew that that was going to happen, like crime. I mean, the night that Brandon Johnson won, I saw plenty of, um, you know, bots and comments for people responding like, you know, good luck, basically, essentially with Chicago's crime because he, you know, is now, um, will now be the mayor. And I really think that the crux of it is that we've just been so conditioned to only look at solving crime or violence with one approach that anything that's different from that is just absurd to people. So, you know, what Brandon Johnson at the heart of his message was, you know, investing in people, investing in communities. Um, and that looks like, you know, making sure that schools, our schools, our neighborhood schools are supported. Um, Mayor Rahm Emanuel closed 50 elementary schools. There are probably children that were among those teens that were downtown that are legacies of school closures. Um, I was just looking at a Chicago Reader um, article from 2020 talking about how a lot of basketball courts have been closed. And, you know, as a Black Chicago millennial myself, I, you know, things were obviously different when I was coming up, uh, where places I was able to go with my friends. But just now, there just not, are not a lot of free open spaces for Black for any youth, honestly, not even just Black youth together. And I just feel like the narrative coming out of the different legacy media organizations, it isn't anything new that they're saying, but it's also, to me, it's just also reading like we need to protect downtown in the business community and not protect or, or even just uplift or try to figure out some solutions I think there's opportunity to actually talk to those kids that were there, ask them things, you know, about what different programming or things they'd be interested in having in their neighborhoods. But I just feel like the city is for everyone. And some of the messaging that was coming out this past weekend was almost saying like, downtown is only for a specific class of people. And- uh, And I think that, um... If, if if there's any black kid who breaks the law ought to be in jail mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. Now, things, my, my sons are millennials and they grew up in Lincoln Park. And so their friends, for the most part, were white because that's all it was over here. And those kids, the white kids, got away with all kinds of stuff they did. 
know, and my son, my sons, because they were in the crowd, well, mainly it was my younger son. But anyway, uh, they got away with a lot of stuff because they were with these white boys and the cops would just give them a warning. You know, they, they didn't take them to jail. Whereas if my sons had been with black friends, he'd have a record by them. Okay. So I'm telling you guys this. If it's an integrated group of kids, white kid and black kids, and they're together to get in trouble, invariably, if they're friends and they know each other for a while, right. the black guys will go, hey, Benny, go deal with the cop. I'm saying it to the white guy. Yeah. I've been in that position many right. times. Right. You go, <laughs> yeah, well, you go deal well, with I wasn't there when, when they were having these problems. So that probably happened. I can't speak to that. And I grew up in, in, in segregated Gary. So I, I don't even know what that experience is like. Yeah. And I, I Monroe, I, I want to get your thoughts on this because Mark and I talked about this a lot yesterday. Like I said, we took a real deep dive. So if folks didn't listen to that conversation or been under a rock, uh, what was it? Saturday? I've lost track of days, Tanya, but I think it was Saturday. Um, it was a beautiful day in Chicago. Weather is great. The typical Chicago. I know I'm supposed to be on the Chicago bandwagon, Rob, but there's Chicagoans act like after winter, they it's like spring. They've never had spring before. And this is not just teenagers. This is not just black kids. This is all Chicagoans. It's a nice day. They act crazy. Monroe, you notice, don't go in a car and drive on the first nice day of spring. People think they're like in the Indianapolis, you know, uh, speedway so yeah. people just like that first night nice day they kick open the doors yeah i'm a chicago win i'm gonna go cause mayhem or whatever so all these kids uh running around the loop some of them got out of control i think uh they were jumping on cars scaring the hell out of everybody yeah. uh and um so in the aftermath uh there was an outcry uh, from all kinds of people in the city of chicago parents are to be blamed parents have to take care of their kids and Monroe what I was saying was like my opinion if it's a typical scene most of those kids were just kids going to the party type thing yeah. most of the kids in my humble opinion were probably not causing mayhem and most of the kids in my opinion were probably like uh oh what did I get myself into and they probably lied to their parents about where they were going if they were like any of the kids I either raised or helped raised, right? Uh, and told them, "Oh, I'm going to Su Susie's house." When they were really going to Bobby's house, right. you know, game Monroe. Right, right, right. No, they, uh, and you also get a mob mentality when you get that many people of a similar background together. So they were being wild. In other words. If it had been that many uh, MAGA people, they would have been looking for somebody to lynch, uh, for example. But, <laughs> I mean, it, you get that group mentality. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so you got some. Oh, my God. The views and opinions of Monroe Anderson do not necessarily reflect those of the Jarofsky show. Max Lynch. Uh, or they would look for a capital to overrun Monroe. More yeah, likely. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. They'd be at City Hall, and and they'd be um, hanging <laughs> Mayor Lightfoot and Mayor Elect Johnson. <laughs> String them up. 
they're responsible for these criminals. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so what's your thoughts about parents being held responsible? Just, just joking, MAGA. Yeah. <laughs> He's just joking, MAGA. Uh, so what's your uh, thoughts about parents being responsible for what went down over the weekend? And, you know, there, there are some parents come in all stripes. So there are some parents who probably were uh, were responsible. Um, they, uh, but most most parents with teenagers don't know where their children are. I mean, you're supposed to report in, but they don't do it. I mean, yeah. you're good parents, you say, let me know where you're going, who you're going to be going with, et cetera, et cetera. And kids do what they do. They they aren't interested. You know, I saw somebody interviewed, some official who said that um, you should watch your kids, and if they if you should come downtown with them. There's no teenager in the city of Chicago, not one, that <laughs> wants to come downtown and hang out with his his parents on a warm summer night when yeah. it's a bunch of teenagers hanging out with each other. It, 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 that just doesn't happen. Yeah, that, that's. I read that. Yeah, like the parents are going to start chaperoning their kids. Just, just ignore me while I hang out with you and your crew. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, Tony, what was your thoughts about the response that went down on uh, Saturday with the calls for parents to be more responsible and everybody trying to figure out who to blame? Yeah, it kind of mirrors the same conversation that was, I don't know, well, it was this time last year, actually, where, um, unfortunately, a Black teenager was killed in Millennium Park. So all of what happened to me, it is kind of like the same talking points, like rent repeat. Um, but, I mean, it is unfortunate what did happen. But I, I think, like I said before, I just really feel like this is just bringing this conversation to light again, that these problems didn't exist um, with, you know, Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson. They didn't exist or start with Mayor Lori Lightfoot or, you know, even her predecessors. I feel like it's a history of disinvestment in black and brown communities. And what happened speaks to that. You know, um, if you wanna go to the mall, in some neighborhoods, even the water tower, I believe there's restrictions on who's allowed to come into the mall now. I think you might need a chaperone. Um, you know, there used to be tons of skating rinks open when I was a kid. A lot of those are not open anymore. Um, and if you do go to um, like downtown with your friends, you have to spend money to go and sit in places. So there, it just speaks to this like, need for free and open spaces and i just hope that people recognize that we could try to do something different and maybe if we try this you know if everyone has what they need you know we could see a different result but i don't i don't think the immediate need to um like criminalize people especially young people is is the right response immediately it's let's unpack why this is happening and let's figure out what we can do to prevent it from happening again. Yeah, and that was the the message that uh, Brandon Johnson uh, articulated in his press release. And they didn't want to hear it. Yeah, and that and that 
And right. that's the blowback he got, Monroe. Uh, as soon as he said, I don't want to demonize or uh, vilify uh, the um, uh, all, uh, well, he didn't say all black uh, teenagers in Chicago, but that's what he was getting at. That's when the response was, and, and it's like people wanted him to do that. No, do that. Vilify right. <laughs> them. And it would have been a totally different attitude if it had been uh, rampaging white kids. You know it and I know it. Uh, and by the way, I, I've seen, I've seen white kids acting badly every bit as much as I've seen black kids acting badly, uh, in large groups. Right. Um, and it just does somehow have the, the impact Monroe that it does when it's black kids. Do you understand what I'm saying? Monroe, like it just, the psychological impact is stronger, uh, in white Chicago, I've lived in Lincoln Park since 1977. And to this day, I'm still scaring white women just by walking around in my neighborhood. They see a black man and they start clutching their purses across to the other side of the street. Or I mean, I and when I was younger, I was a little bit scarier, but not much. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think they must believe that I'm the uh, Lincoln Park senior purse snatcher, purse snatcher or something. And, and I, I met good and met fast in my old age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in your old age. Uh, all right. Uh, we're going to, uh, uh, this Monroe uh, Wednesday, we're going to be shift. We're going to talk some national politics to uh, Fox. We definitely have to talk that. But before we make that shift, uh, Tony, I want to ask you about Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, and uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, this is her last city council meeting, as I said at the outset, uh, and they're showering her with praise. Uh, and uh, it was almost like they didn't oppose her all those years, which I had to kind of smile at. Chicago politicians are a trip, Tonya. Uh, and um, so your general thoughts, uh, you, you, you spent a lot of time uh, following politics during the Lightfoot era. Uh, what's Lori's legacy, uh, in, in your humble opinion? Sure. Well, to be fair, I kind of stepped in toward the, the latter part of her administration, but, um, Tiffany and Bella did some really incredible work, um, looking at her mid-year or her two-year anniversary, uh, after serving, um, as mayor, but, Overall, I think that she presented herself. I mean, she did emerge. Her election was historic, um, emerging from a really crowded field um, with the mayor's race in 2019 being relatively unknown and polling very low. And then to be able to win against an established um, politician with like roots as far and as long as um, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, and then, you know, obviously being the first Black woman and the first queer Black woman. But outside of that, you know, she did run as a reformer. But to me, I don't think that she proved to be much different than Rob Emanuel. Um, you know, we saw a lot of reported pieces, a lot of um, city council members saying that she had trouble working with people. Um, she raised the police budget. She built a cop academy after saying she would oppose it and then also had a grand opening for said cop academy during the election. So um, covering up the 
and Jeanette Young scandal um, after promising to be more transparent. Um, going back to 2020, when organizers and others were in the streets protesting after George Floyd's murder, raising the bridges. Um, and I just feel like she positioned herself to be a progressive mayor. And I feel that her loss is a rejection of that idea and it is an example of like failed policies. Yeah, well, she's, you know, she's like Jane Byrne was, who was the first mm -hmm. mayor. And um, Black Chicago put Jane Byrne on the fifth floor and she did nothing for us. She ended up um, being, being with the uh, evil cabal, as she called him. And um, Mayor Lightfoot wasn't that bad, but she didn't stick with her base. She, uh, one of the things you learn in, in politics is you, you dance with the one that brought, brought you. Mm. She didn't do that. Mm. Well, yeah. Monroe, uh, one thing, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I was just going to add that that's something Alderman uh, Walter Burnett said to me on um, the first, on February 28th, so the first round. He said, you know, you don't make enemies with your friends. You don't make your friends your enemies. That was kind of like his advice to the the incoming uh, whoever. I mean, at that point, we didn't know. We knew like Brandon Johnson and Paul Bowles were going into the runoff. But I also wanted to add to just like if Invest Southwest, which is something that uh, Mayor Lightfoot has kind of like held as her signature like project, if it proves like if if we keep seeing the growth from that, I think that could be a part of her legacy and, and how she's remembered. Well, I, I'm going to push back uh, mm -hmm. uh, two things. One about her uh, don't uh, stay with you. Don't alienate your base. Uh, I don't I never thought Lori Lightfoot's base was the black community. Mm -hmm. The first go around, if you recall, she barely she eked out a win, but she didn't get a strong vote in the black community. Willie Wilson did better than her. I think Tony Preckwick did better than her. It was the second round. The second round it was yeah. one on one with Tony that uh, she mopped the floor with her. So mm -hmm. I didn't feel that uh, Lori Lightfoot had a base in the black community. Uh, and and then she alienated one of her chief ambassadors to the black community, Willie Wilson, early on by not returning his phone calls. Almost so she just broke Walter Burnett's adage right there uh mm -hmm. when uh when she did that i still think she would have been elected had she kept her alliance with willie wilson i think she would be would have been reelected. so uh, sorry to interrupt you but with uh the february with the first uh election so the first um the general election she did win you know she was beating willie wilson and brandon johnson in the majority black wards so i just feel like it wasn't black people were willing to give her another chance. Like people we talked to out in the field on election day, they told us when they voted for her, they were willing to give her another chance. So, yeah. Yeah. Monroe, talk about that. Uh, mm -hmm. Black people being willing to give Lori life for another chance. Uh, Tonya ran down a list of all the things that uh, Lori Lightfoot did. That would offend black voters. And Jeanette Young would be at the top of the list, in my humble opinion, but whatever. Uh, and yet 
the loyalty to her in the uh, final analysis uh, by black voters. Go ahead. It's it's um, most people like to classify that as racial, but it is in reality ethnic. Uh, African Americans are an ethnic group, and ethnic groups tend to support their own. Jewish Americans support Jewish American politicians. Irish Americans support Irish American politicians. Um, and and so that's why she was getting that. It was an it was an ethnic choice where they wanted somebody in there who looked like them. And so that's why she got the support. And she she didn't she didn't she didn't really work against their interests. She just didn't work for and so I, I, I think that's why she got it because um, because she was in the seat and we should have had the seat 30 years ago when mm-hmm. when um, Tim Evans split, split it up with Sawyer and so forth um, 30 years we were in the desert yeah. You know, Tonya, Monroe and I will never get over the 1980. We will never get over that. We're so old now. We talk about it all the time. Uh, when we go out, we talk about it. Uh, we're walking down the street. We talk about it. Uh, it's really hard to uh, overestimate uh, the, the feeling of disappointment that the two of us share over that split and the impact it had on Chicago politics from 89 when uh, Daley was victorious in the special election up until really Brandon Johnson's win. It just, it's such a profound impact. Chicago went in a different direction than the, like the six-year experiment with uh, fairness. That was the Harold Washington Sawyer era. And it's just like, you know, we're going to rank up the inequity machine and, and yeah, so up, yeah, so what, what they ended up doing, the, the Daily Rom group, is they raised the public housing projects, which took a lot of the potential voters out and had a horrible impact on the black poor. And they, there, there, were, there were black kids who were homeless once they, once they got rid of those public housing projects. They took the schools out. And in a lot of black neighborhoods, the, 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 the school is the identifying marker for that neighborhood. It's, it's, it's what stands there as, 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 as establishing, giving that school, uh, that neighborhood a name. So they, and, and we've lost, what, uh, 150 blacks or something in the city as a result of that? 150? You mean 1,000? 1,000. Yeah. Who knew 150 were gone? 150,000. Yeah. I think it's more than that, but whatever. Your point's yeah, 200, yeah. Uh, and uh, so anyway, I also was going to push back on uh, Southwest Initiative. I, I just thought that was a marketing scheme. And I will... I will uh, it's a, a longer conversation to have another time, but sure. until we change the TIF program in the city of Chicago, which is the chief economic development funding source, 
uh, and make that fair as opposed to having it to go into the wealthiest neighborhoods. We will never adequately address the inequity in the city of Chicago. I've been saying it for 20 years. I'll say it for another 20 years, Tonya. And I don't care if anybody's stopped listening to me because they know it's true. Uh, you can't have a program that's intended to eradicate blight and help poor people going to the richest neighborhoods in the city. And that's just the definition of inequity. And I don't know if Brandon Johnson can change that. because that's okay, just let, me, let, me, let, let me make uh, a, a quick point that has occurred to me. Go just on. like Mayor Daly parking meters knows mm-hmm. away has made him um, put him in a special class of mayor for the rest of his life not good class um, I think the um, the car race maybe oh, that's car? life but we'll see yeah right exactly because that just I mean it just sounds crazy to me that Chicago has such a short time period where you can enjoy downtown in the parks or what have you and for for two weeks they're going to be you're going to lose two whole weeks out of that minimal close to a month and so we'll see since it hasn't happened um i could be wrong but i don't think i am i think it's going to go, go down as a horrible horrible mistake we'll see we'll see tony you got any thoughts on that before i i turn things to national oh just um yeah, I I think it's it'll be interesting. I think that's an, another conversation too about like parks and their accessibility. Um, Kelly Garcia did some really great reporting about Douglas Park, a Chicago reader alum. Yeah, she did some really great reporting about um, is it Riot Fest? I'm I'm mixing them all up, but yeah, Riot Fest in, in Douglas Park and just the need for people to be able to have, you know, open space places places to go and and chill out during the summer months and how um, these concerts or these big festivals are, are taking up a lot of our free space during the summer. Absolutely. Don't get me started. Do mm-hmm. not get me started on how we do it. With people from the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 in, and in the case of NASCAR, <laughs> who knows who the NASCAR crowd is? I'll just yeah. laugh at it because uh, I will tell you this. I got a uh, want a shout out to uh, listener Frank sent me uh, right before we went on the air a tweet from some downstate uh, Republican senator who says, "quote For what it's worth, I will not be following Chicago's new mayor off the cliff when he comes to Springfield today looking for help. After last weekend's events, I've seen all that I need to see. I will not dignify, let alone condone anarchy." Some doofus uh, state senator Republican denouncing. Uh, I, I, I I'd be willing. To bet lunch uh, was not is not upset uh, upset about uh, the insurrection at the at the Capitol. Absolutely, that's a lunch. I will I will not take that bet. I'll take every other bet we make, Monroe, but I will not take that bet. I guarantee you. <laughs> I guarantee you, it's a selective outrage. It's right. ridiculous. Brandon's not even a mayor yet. You yeah. blame Brandon. <laughs> but my point is. Is that that guy supposedly is, I don't know, represents the, the audience that would come to watch a NASCAR race. Remember, remember the other Brandon? Uh, right. let's go Brandon at the NASCAR race. We all we talked about that endlessly, Monroe. Yeah. And so that's the, the I, I mean to this but I know they brought Bubba Wallace to town, the one black driver they have at NASCAR, and they put him in the spotlight to say, 
Now black kids can learn to become NASCAR drivers too. I'm like, this is like, who dreams this stuff up? You're kick, you, you're like scared of black kids coming into the loop. Now you're like, you're using black kids to sort of justify closing off the lakefront. Right. You know, it. <laughs> I don't know who they think's coming to see. Uh, you, you know, they. Is it that is that is it state senator who won't even be in this in the rotunda when uh, Brandon Johnson addresses him? Is he the one who's going to come to Chicago for NASCAR? You know, <laughs> so uh, I don't know. That's another Lori like uh, life but legacy NASCAR. Uh, <laughs> all right, Tonya, you're more than welcome to stay. Uh, or if you got to go somewhere, I respect that as well. But we're going to have to switch gears and talk some national uh, politics. Uh, and some national. This is a Monroe Wednesday, uh, and the listeners are, I know, really eager, Monroe, uh, to hear your thoughts on the settlement. I was all set, ready to talk today about day one of the Fox defamation lawsuit with the Dominion, and all of a sudden, Fox, man, Monroe, they cut a deal. $787 million to avoid trial. That's the... Um, the headline in the Sun-Times uh, over their 2020 election lies. Yes, we can call them lies, Monroe. We can call them lies because that's what they are. Your general thoughts about Fox. Uh, Fox. Fox is in an interesting situation in, in that um, they, their, their, their readers, their viewers, want to hear lies that's what they want is the lie when 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 fox reported um beat everybody out reporting that um biden had won um arizona they started transferring um to uh q uh, the QAnon tv stations up q and they Mm -hmm. were and that's why fox came up with the lies after that I mean, they they want there is a the mega crowd uh, wants the lies. They want to believe that they are are they should be aggrieved because they're being being mistreated because they're white. And so they they will still be with Fox. They will still be, and, and um, as as far as the other right wing TV stations, uh, Dominican is is, um, is suing them also. So, so it's going to be difficult for them to lie as well. Yeah. I mean, everybody will find a way. When when it was announced, this was really interesting to me. When it was now uh, announced that uh, uh, that the settlement. It happened. I turned to uh, Fox just to see what they were reporting, and uh, Neil uh, was very, very factually reported that um, they had been uh, Fox had done some agreement, but he didn't characterize it with like or lying or anything. He just said they were they were they they had, they had agreed to pay. Um, eight uh, seven hundred and eighty-seven thousand million bucks, and then um, 
they went on to the it was at the end of his show then they they went on to the to the five i think is the next show that comes on and they reported about they started the show off reporting about the garage collapsing in new york city and then they had a piece with tucker carlson uh interviewing elon musk about how he was fighting to um stop artificial intelligence from um uh, 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 putting left-wing thinking into uh, all the artificial intelligence i mean they, they did they weren't even talking about the settlement at all on that show yeah so if, if if all you did was watch fox you wouldn't know that it happened no and and that's the irony of it so on so many levels, Elon Musk and Tucker Carlson are having a conversation. Just think about this in their own little bubble about right. how they're fighting off uh, the leftists who are going to try, who are trying to control uh, our minds. Right. Even as Fox is paying seven hundred and eighty seven million dollars for doing exactly what what. Musk and Tucker Carlson are saying the left is doing it, and that is creating a a fake news, to use Donald Trump's fake news bubble that you could occupy and be completely devoid of any reality. Right. And it's just so to me, Monroe, the seven hundred eighty seven million dollars is like you paying a car ticket. You got you 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 got to pay it so you can get your license back and just continue to drive. Right. They pay it so they can go back to the business of shoving lies down the throats of their believers. Uh, I just assume that part of it will be covered by insurance, and who knows if they can write it off on their tax bill. They, they business they, as usual. They have a they they have a three or four billion dollar. Uh, profit that they can operate off, mm. and so this this was um, worst case scenario. This fine fine uh, scenario, worst case scenario, this fine was worth one year's um, business. For them. And, and, and by the way, further irony to your point that you first made uh, about Arizona. It, this is what's so twisted and weird. You could argue. That Fox's greatest moment as a news operation, right. forget a propaganda operation, right. as a news operation, was when they correctly called Arizona. Uh, they put Arizona in the Biden column as a victory before any other news operator, even AP hadn't done it yet. Right. They, they looked at the results that had come in. They looked at the results, the, the potential votes that were outside uh, that hadn't come in yet, and they made the conclusion that there were not enough Trump votes out there to overcome Biden's lead. Right. And that is what news, that's the pressure they're all under Monroe on election night. Who's right. going to make that conclusion first? Right. And you're, you're not supposed to be doing it from your heart. You're supposed to be doing it from your head. Right. And they made that decision and they caught hell. I, they caught hell for it. You betrayed the cause. Right, right, right. Oh my God. God, it was their finest moment as a journalistic outfit. 
Oh, Lord. Um, so now, uh, what we have going on mm-hmm. with the Republicans is they're having a try uh, a hearing in New York. McCarthy is uh, on um, crime in New York. And what's to be done? What can Congress do to to help cut down crime in New York? Uh, Jim Joyner is heading up this particular hearing. And again, the the hypocrisy and the craziness of this is that crime in New York City is much less than in Columbus, Ohio, which is in Joyner's district, congressional district. Jordan, yeah. Yeah, Jordan, yeah. Yeah. So so just let everybody know what's going down here. So... Alvin Bragg, who is the prosecutor in New York City, uh, has led the indictment of Donald Trump for paying hush money uh, to Stormy Daniels through Michael Cohen, all right, to silence her uh, before the 2016 election. So she wouldn't go public with her, with her story of how she and Trump had, to quote Jerry Butler, a one night affair. And uh, so the counterattack that uh, Kevin McCarthy is waging is to have a hearing about crime in New York to put pressure on Alvin Bragg, the prosecutor, blame uh, crime in New York on the prosecutor. Even though New York just recently elected a more or less law and order mayor in Eric Adams, who is, it doesn't matter if they have a narrative that they're gonna follow, they're gonna follow that narrative, Monroe, well, it's a political stunt, it's a stupid political stunt, it's, which Republicans have done and are doing many. But uh, the fact that they're holding holding this investigation in New York, which and and New York has fewer crimes and murders than all but two or three cities in the, in all of uh, all the United States. And and most of the crime, the murders, are are in red states, Republican states. And you know, um, uh, Jordan could have held the hearings in his district if he was serious about this. He'd have held it in his district. But they just, you know, it's, it's just what they do. Yeah, they're, they're trying to protect Trump. And so they they figure if if um, they have these hearings about how horrible crime is in, 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 in New York, then why is Bragg looking into Trump's crime when they're much worse crimes? You got you you got these um, black and brown people running around um, destroying New York City. And he's letting them do it. You know, it's a, it's the same mentality as 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 being held here in Chicago. Absolutely, it's, it's the same game being played. And and and, but again, our I know irony doesn't matter here. I know facts don't matter here. I know it's a game that they're playing. And like I said, the seven hundred eighty-seven million dollars that Fox paid to get rid of this lawsuit is just sort of like, you know, uh, a loss leader. 
If they're going to continue the operation in a way they're going to do it, they have to shell out this money uh, to cover up. For it's like Trump paying off Stormy Daniels to just paying someone off. Effectively, right, the, the difference for um, Fox is you have another suit coming now with Smart Tech. Nick, yes, I think it's yes. yeah, another voting machine company, and they were asking uh, two billion. It's yeah. a three billion. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and now you have a sample of what they a roadmap what, where they can follow what what uh, Dominican did. So Fox is not out 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 of trouble yet. Yeah, they're gonna pay. No. They have to pay out some more money. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. They, they <laughs> the the uh, the 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 shut them up money may double before all is said and done. Uh, that they have to apparently they're going to pay their off, uh, unlike Alex Jones, uh, who lost a huge settlement of verdict. One point four billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, he's moving heaven and earth to avoid paying it. Oh yeah, uh, no, he's setting up all these dummy companies. You know, the, 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 all these folks are grifters and con men, and so they they come up with ways to do things. All right. Uh, speaking uh, of, I don't want to make that transition, but anyway, we'll close with an update on Clarence Thomas, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Uh, I urge everybody to check out Monroe's riff last week about Clarence Thomas. I'm sure he may repeat it uh, this week. Uh, so, so it just, Monroe, the Democrats and Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas is essentially uh told the democrats i am above you you can't touch me i no matter what story comes out about me i'm gonna stay here you don't have the votes to successfully impeach me you don't have the the guts or the balls whatever word you want to use to even uh raise the issue so i'm just gonna sit here and fly on my billionaire friend's plane and go hang out with my billionaire friend that is you know he's luxurious his gifts let uh, let him take care of my mama. <laughs> he's Clarence says it good. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, the, the the thing is, Clarence Thomas. People keep trying to call him an Uncle Tom, and he's no Uncle Tom. He's he's Stephen from. Django. He is a black black man that has influence and and power, and is using it against his folks. Happily, yeah, he uh, does have tremendous influence and tremendous power and tremendous contempt uh, for mainstream black political thought. I I clearly despises uh, liberal Democrats, liberal white Democrats, and uh, Monroe. And he hates black people because he was black and poor and not given the um, props that he thought he should have coming. And the billionaire is telling me, are you okay with me, boy? <laughs> Oh my God, ladies and gentlemen! Can you imagine Monroe Anderson at the Tribune in 1982? <laughs> they must have hated you, man. Oh Lord! It's just a couple of times. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Oh God. I, I uh, yeah, well, we're, we're going to watch this. I, I want the Democrats to launch an impeachment of Clarence Thomas, David Ferris. I urge everybody. We had a long discourse about this political scientist, David Ferris. And I talked about this Monroe that, uh, in the show dropped this week. I want them to do it. I don't think they will do it. No, because um, they got too much else on their platter. Yeah, wow. they, they've got a Supreme Court that's running, running, running. Supreme Court gone wild. You know, like girls gone wild. Mm-hmm. But Supreme Court has gone wild with its stuff. You have Trump with all his various corruptions that they have to address. I mean, they, they if, if they go after everybody who needs to be gone after right now, it will look like they've overplayed. So they've got to pick their targets for right now. It, uh, I'm sorry, what did you say? If they go after everyone, it'll look like what? What was the word you used? I just couldn't hear it. They overplayed their hand. Oh. Yeah, yeah, because it's too much. I mean, they could, you know, if, if, they, had, if, if they had an FDR majority, then they could get rid of Clarence. They could they could they could expand the court, the Supreme Court, to balance it out. They could put Trump in jail. Mm. Sure, I mean, there's a lot of things they could do rightfully, not through any crooked political stuff. But these guys have just gotten so outrageous in their corruption that that um, they could they could they could spend the next two terms. Just um, correcting all these horrible things these people have, have done and are doing. Yeah, and uh, the book banning, the 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 um, the abortion, of uh, cutting off the so women can't control their own bodies. Uh, I mean, they they just are doing horrible. They have a fascist movement going, literally a fascist, you know. Too often that gets thrown around, but they really have a fascist movement going. Yeah. By the way, uh, as you're speaking, this this story just broke, and we'll be talking about this, I'm sure, next week. The Supreme Court extended a pause on the lower court ruling that had sought to limit access to a commonly used abortion pill, ensuring the drug would remain widely available for now. This story is just breaking. I'm reading from the New York Times. Uh, and uh, in a brief order, Justice Samuel Alito Jr. announced that the court would extend its stay through Friday evening, giving the court more time to consider the case. Uh, I That one, listen, we'll be talking about this a lot down the road. Uh, but obviously, what how they rule uh, on the abortion pill will have a significant impact uh, on the election in 2024. It's going to have an impact anyway, because they, even if they don't do it now, they try to do it. Mm. And these younger women, uh, the women who are, are of birth age, uh, are freaked out that it even got this close. And yeah. young young people are going to be, they, they, the young people is what gave Wisconsin the liberal Supreme Court justice. Yeah, Judge Janet. They're already yeah. trying to impeach. They're already talking impeaching her. <laughs> the Republicans don't play. Democrats got all this evidence about Clarence Thomas, and yeah. they're running away. They don't want to mess. The, the MAGA is like, 
Judge Janet just got elected. They don't have it. She hasn't even gone into office yet. Right. And they're ready to impeach her. You know, right. that's the difference between MAGA and Democrats, right? Right, right, right. Well, I don't believe they're ready to impeach her. I'm like, yeah, no, they've gone wild. Yeah. So we have got to, those of us of a, a, a sound mind, <laughs> have got to fight these folks tooth and nail. Because yeah. if not, then they they will really just have have have, have us living in handmaiden times. Handmaiden times for real. All right, Monroe, we have run out of time. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, Lord knows what the world will look like next Wednesday, but Monroe will be here. We'll be talking about it. I also want to thank Tonya Hill. She did an outstanding job making her debut on the show from the tribe. God bless the tribe, man. They've, I know. Monroe, you agree with me in this one. They really um, uh, a very healthy addition to the media uh, landscape here in the city of Chicago. I well, you know, overall, I I told Tiffany Walden, uh, the editor, because the tribe is a, uh, right now a publication for black millennials. Yeah. And I, you know, I told her they are the generation I've been waiting for since the 60s. You know, is is a activist, intelligent um, generation that's willing to take on the power elite. Uh, the generations in between the late 60s and now, mainly we're trying to um, get their careers going. Yeah. And, I, and you know, and I could understand that, but we, we need more than that right now. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Definitely on the national level, man. All right, very good. Thank you very much, Monroe. Thank you very much, Tanya. And, of course, thank you, Chris. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can get more great Ben Jarofsky content at chicagoreader.com. Follow The Benny J Show at Benny J Show on Instagram and get full shows on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.